0: Welcome to the weekend. This is the weekend break on 1521 2QN. Welcome to the Weekend Break Podcast for
1: 1521 TQN. My name is AJ. Thank you very much for joining me whenever and wherever you are. On this week's podcast, we speak to Echuca's Andrew Thompson, who is a former Sydney Swan in 1993 when Ronald Dale Barassi took over at the club. He tells us his stories of being coached by the great Ron Barassi. Also, we have the golf. We have our council chat with Peter Betts and our chat with the Hack, as well as a bit of a conversation with Dale Norman about all things to do with the Murray Football League throughout this season. That's all to come on the Weekend Break podcast.
0: This is the Weekend Break on 1521 to QN. The death of Ronald
1: Dale Barassi, the first legend of the Australian Football Hall of Fame last weekend, has rocked the footballing world and there's been reaction all across the footballing community. Well, joining me on the line is Andrew Thompson of Echuca. Uh, Dick, you played... A bit of time up in Sydney in 1993 and that's a huge year in the history of football. We associate Barassi probably more with the Melbourne and the Carlton and the North Melbourne times of the 60s and 70s but when Barass answered the call to the, from the AFL in 1993 when you were up at the Swans it, it was a very different time in Sydney's history and a time where the Sydney Swans were probably a bit on their knees. Yeah they were AJ, they, uh,
2: it was an interesting time I was up there in 91, 92 and I think uh, by the time Barassi came along in '93, I'd had four coaches in three years. And, uh, and he rolled into town, so to speak, in 1993. Um, he had an instant presence about him. The club was right on its knees. It was uh, almost to the point where it was almost going kind to of fold at one stage. I think uh, the arrival of Barassi was uh, instrumental in keeping the Swans alive and probably the, uh, the culture that they now have uh, is built around his time back in 1993.
1: What was your, your first experience around the great man? You, you get an opportunity that so few of us ever have where we all, you know, idolise what Barassi was like around football, but you actually get to play under him. And, you know, 10 years earlier when he was still coaching Melbourne, when you were developing as a footballer and you would have heard the stories about what Barassi was like. But what was it actually like when he came into the, into the club and you were now around the great man?
2: Yeah, it was interesting times. I mean, the club was obviously on its knees, but uh, when we heard the name Barassi, we were told uh, in the uh, in the deep, dark dungeons of uh, below the, the SCG uh, change rooms that uh, Barassi was coming to coach us. Everyone looked at each other and couldn't believe that, one, that Barassi was coming, but then, two, it started to dawn on people how much of a hard task last year he was. Uh, Swans at the time were really uh, struggling, and... Um, And we all just wondered how he would go about it. Well, it's complete opposite to when he actually arrived our first training night. He had us all stand in the middle of the SCG and the first thing he said to us is he wanted us to have a look around the SCG and he said, you guys don't actually realise this, but you actually train on the best surface in any of the teams that are actually involved in the AFL. You don't realise how lucky you are. It's something we never thought of because he... uh, he just wanted to make us understand that We did have some good things around us. Even though we were going so bad at the time, from an on-field perspective. And off-field, it wasn't rosy either. So uh, he got back to basics with his messages and we are all worried what he was going to be like. He was quite relaxed, but when he spoke, he certainly listened.
1: That's the image that I think many football fans have of Barassi, is that incredible orator, that the coach's coach that people are talking. You listen to guys who were around North Melbourne in the 70s in particular and Brent Croswell is a really good example having grown up in Tasmania you'd hear Tiger talk about it all the time that the message he could deliver and the way that he could bring you in and even though it was a hard taskmaster he could make you believe in what the message was and why you were doing it is that what your experience was?
2: Absolutely Uh, his attention to detail was phenomenal I remember He used to get back to us and talk to us about the basics, the real basics of football, which might seem trivial, but that's the insight into the mind of the man, was he used to tell us things like, make sure when you do your shoelaces up on your footy boots, you tie them to the inside, so when the ball hits your foot, it doesn't have any effect on the way that you kick the ball. When you bounce the ball in the wet, think about it, turn the ball upside down and and bounce the ball with the laces down a little bit more grip on the surface. It was phenomenal the way he just thought about football and how he stripped it right back. Um, And then when he delivered a message, if you didn't do what he asked you to do, you certainly knew about it, Um, but he actually got the best out in people just by getting you to believe that The little things that make the big things
1: count. You mentioned there that you'd been up in Sydney in 91 and 92, so you'd been through a number of coaches. You'd been through Gary Bacchanara's time at the club as well, and you hadn't cracked into the senior side yet. And Barassi, as you said to me earlier, was the guy who gave you your first game.
2: Yeah, he gave me the first senior game. It it was a memorable game because obviously uh, it's your first game and you never forget that, but uh, the result wasn't so great. We lost by about 30 goals, but I remember him saying to me, at training on the Thursday night, that just get in there, son, and enjoy it. The result will take care of itself. Um, and he just made it simple. He didn't overawe you with anything. Um, 91 and 92, I was young, and I was learning my ropes, living away from home, having grown up in Moama, and had different coaches. It was just a club in, I guess, turmoil. They were trying really hard. The people were fantastic. I made lifelong friends there. But um, when Baracky came, it was about getting the football to start doing the talking, he just made you believe the way he went about it. And I'll be fairly grateful for him giving me that opportunity. He was also the guy that ended my career telling me that I was probably too small for AFL football in the end, but uh, I sort of uh, went through the rest of that year and ended up having a knee injury that um, sort of stopped my career um, at AFL level anyway. Um, but uh, I'll be fairly indebted for, uh, for him being a uh, uh, the giver of my first game, I suppose, at, at the AFL level.
1: You've stayed involved in footy since, particularly in my time at the paper, you and I had a lot to do with each other around Chuka Footy Club and the way it's developed over the past couple of years. How much of what Barras taught you while you were playing under him translated over into the rest of your footballing life and how you've helped grow young players and things along those lines? Yeah,
2: I suppose it, was, it takes a team of, of uh, it sounds simplistic, but attention to detail for, for a lot of things, not just out on the ground, but your off-field, you know, making sure that things are right from an administrative point of view, and that's one thing that Brassie... I mean, when he finished at Sydney, he was then on the board for another seven years as a, as a board member after he coached. So he had a great mind for on and off the field. So it's probably something that I've had in my head um, that it's a number of people involved in a footy club. It's never one person that gets a football club up and going. And the more people that you have pulling in the same direction with the same ideals and same goals, that are prepared to challenge each other, um, I think it's just attention to detail on and off the field uh, is something that um, I think is hugely beneficial. All the great clubs now, uh, whether it be country footy or AFL level, have all got that mix pretty right. You look at the Geelongs and the... And the West Coast over the years, and the Hawthorns, they've all had great administration as well as great coaches and players. So, it's a, a footy club needs to be uh, full of volunteers and wonderful people. And I guess that's uh, the mantra that I didn't see at Sydney because I left before they got there, but I left three years later and they played off in the 96 grand final. So, he certainly had a big uh, influence.
1: On Saturday afternoon, we were calling the Murray League Grand Final and about half an hour before the news filtered through, we'd made a reference to King Gupner and their grand final, the fact that they'd started playing on and running and we threw that back to Barassi in 1970 and the fact that that was an instruction to Carlton saying, play on at all costs and see what we can make of this game. And I think that's, when I think of Barassi, that's where my brain goes to is how he reshaped a game in one moment. And, we all probably have different footballing memories of what the man brought to the game, but for you personally, what's the one moment or memory that stands out to you?
2: I just He used to have a saying, and I've heard it a bit over the news over, over the last few days, is that if it is to be, it's up to me. That was his mantra. He lived by that. He basically said, no one else can get you any result, whether that be in life or on the footy field or sporting sporting fields. Uh, Anyone that uh, is responsible, the only person responsible for it in terms of your performance and how you prepare is yourself. Uh, so if it is to be, it's up to me. It, that's exactly what he did. He did that through his own career, and he, he, he constantly referred to that. In other words, get off your bum, work hard, um, and make sure that uh, the results uh, then will take care of themselves. So that was probably the number one thing I took away from his message or messages. He was very eccentric. He uh, was very eccentric. He was a a lovely man, Uh, he was intense, he he thought differently uh, and it's probably a good way to be in that thinking differently is probably a good thing sometimes, Um, but yeah, he was certainly a a fellow that I think the footy world is uh, forever indebted to.
1: Andrew Thompson, we appreciate you spending the time talking to us about your memories of Ronald Dalbarassi, thank you for joining us.
2: No problems at all, thanks AJ.
0: This is the weekend break on fifteen twenty one to QN.
1: Joining me on the line is the general manager of the Murray Football and Netball League, Dale Norman. Dale, the season of twenty twenty three is behind us now. A great season for the competition.
3: Oh, an unbelievable season. The season that Ebbed not flowed from round one really. is just there was no clear cut favorite on the football field or the netball court. Even though my and Denny got out in front during the home away season, there were no shillings to, to win the premiership, but um, as it turned out, my whale got over the line to go back to back for the first time in the history.
1: Grand final day itself when we were walking around, the crowds were huge, the line-up for, the, for food and the bar and all that were fantastic so there were a lot of people there enjoying the grand final day on a beautiful day as well, unlike last year. What, what are the response from the league in terms of the crowd numbers?
3: Our oh, crowd was phenomenal again. Um, we set a new record that's another record to the league. And, and right across the finals series, is, um, we set records at every finals venue. Uh, we got through the gate, we estimate between five and 6,000 6, people. Um, a $64,000 gate up on last year. Uh, it was just an unbelievable response from the supporters.
1: That's got to be a good feeling. When we look back at the last couple of years, and there was even conversations before COVID saying, you know, country footy's not in the same position it was five to ten years ago and those have been maybe seeing that during home and away season but it feels like the desire to see local football and local netball is still as strong as ever if not stronger.
3: Yeah, we are pretty lucky. We had a a great mix of teams Uh, going into the final series. We had 12 of the 13 teams represented. Uh, We also had perfect weather throughout the final series Uh, but again, the supporters' response was just unbelievable. I, I just can't I don't understand where they all came from. It was just a great, great final series.
1: What's the next couple of weeks look like for the league? Is it time to just decompress before planning begins for the 2024 season?
3: Uh, We'll go into planning straight away. We're immediately on the front foot Um, looking forward to next year. We've got some major decisions to make over the next fortnight, I suppose. Um, Hopefully, with the support of the AFL, we can align our plan for 2024.
1: Dale, thank you very much for joining us.
3: No problem. Thanks.
0: This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. Joining us in the studio from the Daniloquin Golf Club is Vince Kelly. Vince, it's been
1: another very busy week across the course.
4: Yeah, absolutely. AJ, uh we had one of our marquee events last weekend, which was the Spring Classic. Always very very popular and sponsored by Sunrise. We thank them very much for their support. So the event is a 36-hole four-ball best ball stableford event. And I'll just run through the 36-hole winners to start off with AJ in the men's. We had Graham Rothwell and Peter Hayes, 89 points taking the win on a can- Oh no, sorry, by two points from Kevin Reeves and David Grant on 87. Uh, Peter Joyce and Chris Thompson took out the scratch event in the men's and in the ladies, the 36-hole winners, on a countback. Three-way countback it was, AJ. Margaret Radeski and Lynn O'Brien on 87 and they won that countback courtesy of 47 points on Sunday. Uh, Jane Glary and Prue Chalmers, the runners-up, and Carol Hardman and Jen Choice were the unlucky pair to miss out there. The scratch winners in the ladies for the 36-holes was Chandra Simpson and Karen Leatham.
1: That three-way countback, that is an, an intense way to lose, I think, <laughs> as well.
4: Losing on a countback, it gets better. So I'll, we'll go into the Saturday results, uh, AJ. Be. In the men's, they had a five-way countback to determine the oh, winners. Oh,
1: come on.
4: I'm not making this up. <laughs> uh, so the winners were Stephen Townsend and Ken Weymouth with 45 points. Uh, Darren Mitchell and Gary Stevens got the runners-up, and there were three unlucky pairs to, to miss out on. How in
1: unlucky that. would you feel? Just... Yeah, I had the best performance <laughs> of possibly my year. Yes, So there's four other groups that have done it. That's
4: it. That's it. And got nothing. Got a got a golf ball for uh, consolation. So uh, well done to those men on Saturday. On in the ladies' event on Saturday, Carol Hardman and Jen Choice, forty-seven points, one from Jane Glary and Prue Chalmers. On forty-four, needed forty-three points to get a ball in both the ladies and the men's. And the nearest the pins on Saturday went to Lynn O'Brien in A grade on the second, and in B grade, Tony Q. On the fifth, Derek Jones and Des Ramsey. On the ninth, Noel Swanger and Doug Hartwig. On the eleventh, Gary Johnston and Wendy Pierce. And on the thirteenth, Chris Thompson and George Madison. On Sunday, the countbacks continued, AJ. Uh, In the men's, Nick Metcalf and Lockie Campbell, 45 points. One on the count back from John Radeski and John Wacheki. And 41 points to get a ball for the men on Sunday. And in the ladies, Allie Ferguson and Annette Dankett, 48 points. One from Margaret Radeski and Lynn O'Brien on 47. And 42 points to get a ball in the ladies. Nearest the pins went to Karen Leatham on the second in A grade. And in in B grade, there was no one. On the fifth in A grade, Billy Burke. And in B grade, Russell Begg. On the 9th, Graham Willoughby and Jeff Grant. On the 11th, Graham Rothwell and Jane Glary, And on the 13th, Karen Leatham and Kevin Reeves.
1: Could I interrupt with a question? Go for it. What is the criteria of a countback in golf? Because I know in footy, for example, when you do a countback, you go back through games and whoever had the most three votes, for example, will yeah. be the winner. What is the criteria of a countback?
4: Well, the thirty-six hole one was a bit different because they just looked at the Sunday score, I suspect. But a normal eighteen hole count back is uh, back start on the back nine, and then I believe that if you uh, equal on the nine hole score, it goes to the last six, and then the last three, and then I think potentially the last hole if you're still tied after those uh, options of a count. Okay, back. I've
1: learned something today. Continue. <laughs>
4: I hope the listeners have too, and I hope it was correct.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll, no doubt we'll find out. So You'll, you'll get to the golf course I'll later get, today and just get yelled at I by will, somebody. I
4: will get some feedback on that, no doubt, if it is wrong. <laughs> uh, Wednesday, single stable for Ross Poganowski, 41 points, won A grade from Tom Moore on 36, and in B grade, George Madison, 41 points, won the grade from Peter O'Brien on 37, 34 points to get a ball nearest to pins, went to John Radeski on the 5th and Chris Thompson on the 9th. And Thursday, also a Staplefoot event. The winner there was Pauline Davis with 39 points. Runner-up, Marg Marshall, 36. 31 points to get a ball. And the nearest of pins went to Jane Armitage on the 5th. And on the 9th in A-grade, Pauline Davis. In B-grade, Jane Armitage.
1: Now, Vince, we have a number of events that are still to come. It's been a busy month of golf. There's a lot more coming up, though.
4: It is, AJ. Um, tomorrow we've got the Denny High School P&C fundraise, which we've spoken about the last few weeks. Really good field shaping up for that. But as always, there's a chance for anyone who wants to play to come in at the last minute and, and get a spot. Next week, we'll see a bit of a quieter week at the club. We, we do have a Saturday competition on the long weekend and obviously Ute Master weekend here in Deniliquin, uh And the course is open for social play on Sunday and Monday. Uh, but the next really big event, AJ, we've got coming up is the Veterans Week of Golf. It's the week of the 8th to the 13th of October. Uh, there's events on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday for the uh, for the veterans. Wednesday isn't a break if they want to, but you can play golf on Wednesday in the normal Wednesday comp. So a uh, week of golf there for anyone over the age of 55, I think it is. Uh, the good news is AJ we're getting great support from the people out of town uh, we've got 50 to 60 visitors already registered for the event what we'd like to see is a few locals register
1: it always helps to have some of the locals out on the course
4: that's it um, you know there has been a lot of golf on at the time at, over the last few weeks months um, but this is I'm always told, not that I'm old enough for veterans golf yet, AJ, <laughs> but I am told that this is a really fun and enjoyable week of golf, meeting new people and uh, really social events. These veterans, uh, these veterans competitions. So, calling on the local golfers to start getting their entries in, so that uh, the organisers can have plenty of time to put the put the draws together and, and give people plenty of notice of uh, when they're playing. And the other. Uh, we've got an on aboard coming an on aboard event coming up in a couple of weeks' time AJ the Pickers Cup Sunday the 15th of October. It is an event that is open to partners so husbands and wives or long-term partners in life uh, to play a four ball event. It's a very popular event amongst our um, our club so just a reminder, people that it is coming up on the 15th of o- of October and one final thing I wanted to say AJ about coming up 14th and 15th of October at Hay Golf Club the New South Wales Sand Scrape Championships. Entries close tomorrow for that for any local golfers who are interested.
0: Vince Kelly, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, AJ. This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. Joining us in the studio is the newly re-elected, might
1: I add, Mayor of the Edred River Council, Peter Betts. Hello, Peter. Hello, AJ. How are you today? I'm
5: fabulous, fabulous.
1: You, You have... This is obviously not the kind of thing you normally say on radio because it's a, not exactly a visual medium. But you've had your hair cut. Well,
5: I have. Thank it you looks for very noticing. Nice. I quite like it. Thank you. It's not. We're not far off being matchy matchy. To yours be honest, is a, it's yours is a slightly short.
1: different colour, but mine. I think I need a little bit more length in mine to catch
5: mm. up. I don't know, but we're, we're not doing too bad. And are you going to announce who else is in the studio with us? Well, she's this been one... on the
1: show a couple of times so far, but we haven't been actually in studio for a while. But yes, Fenway has come in this morning. She came up and gave you a big a big cuddle oh, when she walked
5: in. Didn't she? Just, she's beautiful.
1: She is. She's a beautiful four-year-old adopted greyhound that I've had for about a month and a half now. She's <laughs> the best. I highly recommend. Um, if you are looking for a dog, Go out and adopt a greyhound. They are just the most beautiful
5: animals. And I look at her and all those big beautiful eyes just sitting there beside you, just checking us out. So
1: she sits it what she does is when I when I'm sitting here working, she'll come and she'll just put her head on my leg and just look at me. I'm like, Well, this is perfect. I'll keep working. I'll keep working and you just sit there and be happy and happy and pretty and all that. So so,
5: so a female that's not being disruptive in your workspace, that's um <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because I am a female. It's only
1: when you come in that we have these disruptions.
5: Oh, is it? Okay. Well, well, you know, bad luck. You've got another 12 months of this to go. Exactly right. And
1: congratulations to you and to Paul as well on the re-election. Tell us about what the next 12 months now looks like from a council perspective.
5: Well, for me, I think it's really hit home that, you know, 12 months, I mean, we've been in 18 months, 12 months to go, so hit the ground running and just really nail down some of these projects, get things moving, and and I'm really excited and and really positive, and I hope that everybody's going to get on board with me and uh, really make some changes and do good things in the next 12 months.
1: I saw the uh, original uh, video that went up on the social media page of the Edward River Council, you and Paul talking about the next 12 months, and that's what you said, it was about taking what you guys have done so far as a council and continuing to build on that
5: that's right and so uh, the council we also got the growth strategy up and happening so that um we'll come to the next briefing in a couple of weeks so we'll get that committee sorted and really really just get things going and get out there in the public and what do you want like what do you really want this community to do and how can we how can we help you do that Tell us
1: about the growth strategy in particular. It's something that we're we're constantly talking about and we've had discussions, you and I have had discussions, myself and Paul have had discussions, myself and Norm had discussions back in the day too, about that importance of growing the Daniloquin area, bringing more people into the town, creating jobs, creating places to live and all those things. How important is it that this strategy is now really starting to move?
5: It's it's an absolute highest priority. Like, we've got to do it. We, we've got to give us that guideline to move forward and to grow. And I, and I truly believe that we can grow. We can We can do really good things here. We just need to get that strategy behind us. We need to create a document that we can hand out to politicians, that we can give to people when they come here and go, here's our vision, here's what we want to do. Can you help us?
1: There's been a, a bit of politicians in the region in the past couple of weeks have been coming through and having a look around town. And obviously, water buybacks is the issue that everybody's talking about. There's been pushback by members of the Labor government. There's been pushback by the local member, Helen Dalton, as well, against water buybacks. From a council perspective, I'm assuming it's exactly where everyone else is standing, seeing these water buybacks and being really concerned about it
5: really concerned about it because it is a horrible situation and we met with Deborah O'Neill, um, Labor Senator, during the week. Um, we got an hour of her time, which was fabulous, and she got a T-shirt, so that was uh, that was really good. Um, but yeah, we had those concerns that communities like ours can't take another round of water buybacks. And so I understand that for some farmers, you know, they're going to sell their water, Um There's other options and there's other alternatives and we need to explore that because we can't survive another round of that. We we will lose too much.
1: What else are we looking at from a council perspective in the next 12 months other than the growth strategy and the issues around water that really stand out to you as things that you want to work on?
5: Well, I think there's a lot of things on Obviously, we know the Edward River Village is a real project for me, so I really want to see that up and going. The first one's nearly done. It's a bit exciting. I'm going to have another um, viewing in a couple of days to see where it's up to. So those sorts of things, freeing up some housing. Of course, you've got the big subdivision out on Okataya Street, so hopefully it all just starts coming together. We're going to work more on our Sky Park development. We've got industrial land out near the airport as well that we're going to work on. How do we attract people to our area to, to live, work and play here? Because, you know, it is a beautiful place.
0: Peter Betts, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks,
5: AJ.
0: This is the Weekend Break on 1521 to QN. Joining me on the line for the Daniloquin Local Health Advisory Committee is Lorreen
1: Liebenberg. Now, Lorraine, we have a very important event coming up in about a month's time regarding mental health in the region.
6: AJ, we um, are very excited today. Um, Alec as a partner in this event together with um, the Deniliquin Mental Health Awareness Group who is putting this event on. On the 18th of October, we are hosting a free mental health and well-being mini-conference in Deniliquin for the region. And um, that program has gone live today. The website has gone live and people can actually start booking for this um, amazing event, which we've received some funding for, and we're really um, proud of, of what we're going to be bringing to the community.
1: There's a lot that we can still learn as a local community about not only our own mental health, but about those around us too.
6: And that, that, is, that is absolutely correct. And what we've done is the, um, the event will happen in two streams, so people will have a choice throughout the day of which sessions they want to do. You know, and when you're talking about what we can learn about our own mental health, um, it's absolutely aimed at the community. Um, so there's two streams. There's a wellbeing stream where people can learn uh, more of a focus on wellbeing and learn about some strategies to manage stress and you know um, learn about some mindfulness and, and some other tools that people can use to improve their own wellbeing. But of course, we also know that having knowledge about mental health and mental health conditions is really important. So we've got we've also got an educational stream and. You know, we'll carry, uh, we'll be doing sessions across the lifespan. So there'll be information on youth, there'll be information on anxiety and depression for adults, and we're also looking at, you know, what what does this look like for people as they're growing older, and obviously we'll be talking about some, you know, suicide and suicide intervention and prevention as well. So, so much um, to be gained from that day.
1: And how do people go about registering for it if they do want to take part?
6: So at this point, they simply have to jump onto the Deniliquin Mental Health Awareness Group website. So if they just type in Denny Mental Health and the page is live and they'll find it on the um, landing page and they'll be able to look at the program, they'll be able to book, um, they'll be able to read more about the presenters and about the topics. So it's ready to go. It's as simple as that.
0: Lorraine, thank you very much for joining us today.
6: Thanks, AJ. Take care.
0: This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN Joining me on the line is the leader of the
1: Victorian Nationals, a member for Murray Plains, Peter Walsh Peter, we are entering into a period of time obviously where people can now start collecting firewood again throughout the spring, but for people particularly around the Echuca region, there are a number of issues with that, particularly where the sites are to collect.
7: There is a huge issue with collecting firewood right along the the Murray River, that everyone has to drive effectively to central Victoria to get firewood. Uh, If you think about the number of trees, the amount of wood that is available along the Murray Valley, uh, it defies logic as to why there is not uh, wood collection points for locals to get their firewood supply and they have to drive 100 to 200 k just to get a trail load of wood. Uh, Very, very disappointed on behalf of everyone that uses firewood for for their heating. Um, a lot of people don't have the luxury of natural gas. Uh, with the price of electricity, uh, firewood is a really viable alternative for them, but not if you've got to drive that far to get wood.
1: There'll also be um, two other sides to that as well. Is One, the amount of wood that people can collect is obviously going to be a challenge, and also people who are travelling, that means that not only are you seeing people from Swan Hill or from Echuca travelling a couple hundred k's to collect wood, but you're also going into areas like Bendigo or into Horsham or areas like that where you're also going to impact the people there who are looking out for their own firewood.
7: Uh, exactly, and not only that, they're going to dodge all the potholes there and back.
1: Um, tell us about how much that concerns you about people outside of our electric, because obviously you look after the whole state being the leader of the nationals, that they now have more people coming into their region?
7: Uh, Well, there's there's, there's just an issue on the demand on the sites in those areas where there is uh, sites identified. But I suppose the key issue I want to emphasise to all your listeners, Andrew, is that we have a lot of wood that could be collected along the Murray River corridor. Uh, The government needs to actually open up wood collection sites close to those people that need it.
1: As we're talking about the cost of electricity and we know that there's going to be changes with gas in Victoria in a couple of months' time as well, these resources that people can access naturally are going to become more and more important.
7: Uh, absolutely critical that that the cost of living is really biting. And we've seen recent stories about the co- household cost of energy is nearly $4,500 a year now. For a lot of people that use wood currently, uh, switching over to, to gas or electricity is very expensive. They have a wood heater there should be wood supply closer to home.
1: Peter, thank you very much for
0: joining us. Thanks, AJ. This is The Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. That's it for this week's episode of The Weekend Break podcast. You can catch up anytime,
1: time, any place, anywhere via whichever podcasting app you use. And of course, we'll be back on Saturday morning from 7 on 1521 2QN.